Welcome to Locally Sourced Joy, where we're interviewing good people doing cool things. And today's guest is Adrian Ritter, who has taken a little life sabbatical to go travel the world. She's been to more than a dozen countries, and uh, it's basically Carmen Sandiego right now. Where in the world is she? We'll find out in this podcast, but we'll hear about Adrian's travel tips for exploring the world, that time she joined a cult in Brazil, and a whole lot more. So let's hop on in. Tell us about yourself. How's life? Isn't that the best question? Like, just give us, give us the scoop. I was living in Denver. I moved out to Denver from Chicago and was living there for seven years at the same company doing financial, you know, corporate finance for a software company and just was unhappy, to be honest. And I talked to a friend who had recently just up and quit their job, walked out one day and did some traveling and moved to Denver and was happier than anyone I'd probably ever met. So it kind of inspired me to re-spark. It was kind of a flint, I say, a spark to re-engage my like love of travel because I had gone on a solo trip to Brazil and Ecuador when I was 23 uh, for seven months. And then after that, for those seven years that I moved to Denver, I was pretty stagnant. I just kind of got really into the career and growing that in the day-to-day. So I quit my job. I said, you know what? I can do this. My lease is coming up. Um, I've gotten so much experience at my work, and I just need a life sabbatical. I call it my life sabbatical. I gave my job four to six months notice. I gave him quite a bit of notice and quit my job and started my travels. First was in the United States on some road trips and some trips with friends and then went abroad for four months and ended up touching down, not necessarily spending tons of time or the same amount of time, but going to about 14 different countries in four months between um, the end of May and the beginning of October. So I just got back from all that not too long ago. And in a few days, I'm actually leaving again for six weeks in New Zealand because I decided that I'm not quite ready to settle down in life again. Um, So I'm going to keep traveling a bit longer and then come back. I said, why? It's the end of the year. Nobody's hiring anyway. So (laughs) I will travel a little bit longer and then figure out, you know, settle down again come the new year. I like it. I like it. That's quite a jet-setting experience there. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was... I don't want to say a dream of mine, but traveling or learning how to incorporate travel into my normal life, um, having a better balance of that is important to me. And I hadn't been doing that. I had been so focused, head down, like working so hard for, for, you know, 60 hours a week easily. um, And I just wasn't doing a good job of that. And it came down to kind of just saying, forget this, I'm, I'm out and going on this, you know, longer journey um but eventually i would love to figure out how to balance it better you know work and traveling especially international travel yeah and i think that segues nicely into something that we've talked a little bit about but i think is uh something that people who travel internationally maybe for the first time or they don't do it a ton can sometimes find as kind of a surprise is the that sort of sense of being an american overseas so what have you found uh, is is your common experience? Does it differ from country to country? Do a lot of foreign places kind of have the same sort of 
mindset of America? Are you doing a lot of educating? What's what's it all like? It's very different country to country. I would say it, it definitely depends. I started out in Asia. I started out in South Korea, Japan, and China, um, and then eventually moved my way over to Europe. And I think not. it's different in two ways. It's different with the locals when you go from country to country, and then it's a different experience when you meet other travelers. So kind of the general consensus of everyone is that Americans don't travel abroad. Um, it's just not in our nature the way, especially it is for Europeans. When I, when I meet Europeans or other um, travelers, that's a huge thing that, oh, Americans don't travel abroad the same way we do. Oh, Americans care so much about how many countries they go to. They keep count of it, whereas, you know, other people don't because it's just more of a natural, normal thing for them. Um, I heard I heard some people I was traveling with in China and they said, oh, you know, it would be fun. Let's rent a camper and drive around like for our holiday, like the Americans do. You know, that's what we're known for is like road tripping. And I can't, I can't fault them for that because it's true. We, you know, international travel is just not something we always think about for summer vacations or winter breaks and whatnot. We don't get uh, the same type of holiday by any means that other countries do. Um, you know, I talk to my friends now and they're lying to their bosses about being sick to take days off for trips or, you know, just, just having a hard time ever taking a true vacation um, so, and so we're not known for traveling abroad and the world seems to know that. Uh, also, I noticed when I talked to people and they said, oh yeah, I really want to go to America or, oh, I've been to America. I say, where have you been? And we're pretty much defined by four cities, uh, New York, LA, Miami, and Las Vegas. Whenever I talk to people, it's only those four. I'm like, oh, where do you want to go? Oh, I, I really want to go to like Miami and Vegas. And I'm like, really? <laughs> of all the wonderful, beautiful places in the United States where, you know, people define us kind of by those four cities. Um, and, you know, of course, every country, one thing I, I absolutely realized, especially in talking with other travelers, is every country has their issues. You know, you have the rioting that's going on in Hong Kong, you have Brexit in uh, England, and then you have, like, you know, Brazil and the Amazon's on fire and, and all kinds of stuff. But, America still has this, you know, spotlight over us at all times. So, of course, you know, people ask me what I think about politics, what I think about Trump. I was asked by two people, um, locals, actually, this is not other travelers, but I was asked by locals, like, if I own guns, um, I was told, my friends and I were told by locals, oh, you guys are American? How are you not more obese or overweight or... I was told, oh, you know, we we follow, we see what the American culture does with food, and we do the opposite of it for our children, so that they don't <laughs> become obese. Um, so, so I've been both like beloved or adored abroad by people who say, oh my gosh, you're American, you speak English, I want to speak English with you, I really want to go to America. But then I've also been kind of, I don't want to say put down, but um, you know asked about based on the small amount of information that other countries get on America, but we only get a small amount of information about other countries as well. So it's just kind of 
sometimes, to be honest, and I hope other people feel the same way, maybe they don't, but sometimes I do get a little nervous to be an American abroad because I don't know how people are going to respond. I don't know if they're going to like me or, or not. Are they going to like Americans or not? But in general, I think people are fine with Americans and, and other travelers are open you know, to meeting people because that's why you're doing it in the first place. But um, yeah, I, sometimes, I hate saying this, but I feel like a lot of people think that Americans are, you know, these obese hillbillies with a semi-automatic in each hand, and it it saddens me. So um, I, I just it, it it's uh, hard to be an American abroad a bit, but it's not. You know, I'm I keep telling people, I keep pushing people to travel, to experience the world, so that you know we can maybe change the stigma a little bit. And I think it's getting better. I think people are traveling more now than they ever have, especially in the past, like when we were kids, um, our generation, the millennials are traveling more and and want to travel more, but um, for the experience and for the Instagram. (laughs) And for the gram. Oh, he's got to do it for the gram. Although we've, we've talked about this, that as wonderful as it can be to get some great photos. I'm, I'm going to use a recent trip to Chicago as a good example of this. It's like we went to the Botanical Gardens, which if you're ever in Chicago, anyone listening, please go to this in fall because it's so beautiful with all the colors. And in Austin, we don't really get seasons. So it's just very nice to see all the photos, all the pumpkins, all the good stuff. And I can capture like a really nice photo, but if you zoomed that out, maybe like five feet, you'd see a bunch of people standing around. Like I saw someone step very close, possibly quite directly on a piece of poop that was on the ground. Uh, And it's just like, you know, these things can happen while you're abroad. So can you kind of talk about, I, I like the way you term of like the glorification of travel and how, it's not necessarily perfect all the time, but kind of like the, the real side of things. Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for this um, because especially as speaking as a solo traveler and a backpacker, um, you know, it's not always the most glorious. I was, I was in China for the entire month of July, which happens to be China's holiday season as well, their summertime. So all the millions of Chinese uh, citizens are traveling for their summer holiday. So everywhere I went, all the major places um, were just, oh my gosh, absolutely packed with, with Chinese tourists. And people said to me, oh, you know, the Westerners don't come here in July and August. They come in September and October. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this is when it worked out for my travel plan. So here I am. When I when I meet people, when I come back home and they say, oh, my gosh, Adrian, I would love to see the Terracotta Warriors. And I say, yeah, you know, I saw the Terracotta Warriors. Um, and I got to tell you, it was about 95 degrees out and I was smushed, absolutely smushed, sweat dripping down everyone's back, so hot and stuffy because there's no circulation in the, in the, um, terracotta warrior, you know, uh, I don't know what they're called rooms or huts. There's three of them. And I'm absolutely smushed between people trying to get these perfect pictures, you know, trying to get these pictures without people in them and, or 
or otherwise I went to Chengdu. Chengdu is known for pandas. And so many times I was taking pictures of the, of the pandas, of course, but I turned around and just took videos of the thousands of people that were smushed in, in front of me and behind me. And I didn't even have to walk. They were just kind of pushing me along. Um, or even in Europe, going to the Louvre in Paris, Seeing the Mona Lisa, I didn't take pictures of the Mona Lisa. I took pictures of the spectacle that like was the Mona Lisa, the the queue that you had to go through, the snake lines, the people who were going absolutely insane when it was their turn to get in front of the Mona Lisa and take their selfie. You know, like I found that to be more entertaining than the excursions themselves. And when you're a solo traveler, when you're backpacking, when you're sleeping in hostels and, you know, taking eight-hour bus rides, you know, I was living out of a backpack. I was sleeping in bunk beds. I was, you know, not getting washing machines on a frequent basis. Um, you just, I never, and it's a hundred degree heat in the summertime. I didn't feel clean. I didn't feel my best self. My self-care was, was added possible lowest. Um, So those are the kinds of things that you don't see when you take those pictures. And it's funny now. I went to Japan and I went to the Kinkajou Temple and it's this beautiful golden temple and it is an absolute racket. I mean, they, again, kind of, you know, pull you through like cattle, huge group of people. They're trying to get that picture without anybody in it. And then they just kind of move you along again and you're out and there was your $4, you know, to take that one picture. And it's funny because a friend of mine from high school went to Japan a couple months after I did. And I, of course, followed her Instagram story and she is posting pictures of that same temple and other temples I went to and gushing over how gorgeous everything is. And it's funny for me. I love it for me to know what it's truly like. Uh, when you're really there and it doesn't look like that. I mean, it does, but it's not, it's not that same experience when you're going to all these major excursion places. um, You're just mushed with a bunch of people and it's not quite these, you know, serene um, picturesque things that you see online. It's not always blue skies. You get, rain and you get tired and you get sick and whatnot. And it's just, um, I'm very much so an advocate about like noticing the little things, the funny little things talking, like noticing the locals and the people and how they behave and their little mannerisms and how endearing I find it. And, you know, the weird things in the grocery stores. I love going to grocery stores. I love traveling on public transportation just to, you know, they're not exciting. They're not gorgeous. They're not glorious. Um, when people say to me, Hey, Adrian, you know, I hope you're having the greatest time of your life. I'm like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean the greatest time of my life? What do you expect? I, I just feel like, um, in our culture, and maybe this is more American, maybe it's more international, but we think that if you're going to travel abroad, it has to be this kind of glorious, amazing, incredible, life-changing, transcendent experience. Maybe because you're spending so much time and effort and we just it's just not as normal and natural to us, like I was saying before, but the expectation that it's just this, oh my God, you know, um, just 
blue skies and, and beaches the whole time versus like me, <laughs> you know, trying to squeeze in between just millions of sweaty, gross Chinese people who are sitting right, you know, on the ground right next to me. <laughs> and I know you experienced that. You spent your time in China. Yes, I uh, was very often, not very often, but like five times, um, people thought I played professional basketball because I am 6'2", which I, I believe I looked this up and uh, while I was there. So this, this may have changed since this was about a decade ago now, but I believe I was like seven and a half inches taller than the average height in China. So definitely stuck out a little bit with, you know... Uh, my tall, my tall self being throughout the country. Um, but yes, just like, I totally agree. The grocery stores and subways are two of my favorite places to check out in a foreign country, just because first of all, the subways are usually the most efficient way to get around in a lot of these places. So always want to yeah. see that. And the grocery stores, you can usually find some like really good kind of like local products for a lot cheaper than you would, you know, going to a fancy restaurant, which I'm all for fancy restaurants as well, but just seeing kind of how the grocery stores are laid out sometimes too. And I'm just like, wow, this is such a more efficient path of getting everyone through the building or like, this is really stupid. (laughs) And like, I'm glad our grocery (laughs) stores aren't like this, but it's still cool to see how different it is for something that, you know, we're doing multiple times a week sometimes here in, in the States and just to see what it's like over there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so let's say we're we're both fond of international traveling, but let's say I am a first time traveler. I will say internationally specifically. My name is I don't know Kenneth uh, Travel Boy, and I haven't traveled a lot. I what are your tips for someone that's going abroad for the first time? Let's say for for at least a couple weeks at a at a time. Yeah, it can be so overwhelming, very overwhelming. I get overwhelmed. I just mentioned I'm leaving for New Zealand in three or four days, and I have nothing booked or planned. <laughs> so I am. I understand how overwhelming it can be to go abroad because people that do travel internationally, they love to talk about it, and it's never in a – well, I can't say never, but it's generally not in a – bragging type of way it's because people do enjoy it and want to talk to you about it so if you are traveling abroad for the first time and you say hey friends i'm going to italy where should i go you're going to get inundated with suggestions and you know places to go and cities to see and there is just too much i mean it's incredible i was literally abroad i was out there doing things and everyone was saying, oh, have you gone here? Oh, have you gone here? Oh, did you see this? Oh, did you see this? And it's like, no, 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 no. You can only see so much. You, I, I almost like, I almost don't talk to other people about it when I'm going abroad because I just can't handle all the, you know, cooks in the kitchen, all, all the hands in the pot that want to tell you what to do. So I understand that it can be very overwhelming. Um, I honestly would say to plan less. And now I'm a planner. I'm, I'm an anxious person that definitely likes some stability and planning, but I would 
truly say to plan less. If there's things that I learned in my travels, it's that places need more time. You need more time in places and you need a rest day. I did not give myself enough rest days. That's for sure. Every, you know, three, four days, you need a rest day. And, um, yeah, I would, I would say just if you're going for two weeks in Europe, you know, plan, I, I don't want to give a direct amount, but like plan four cities, maybe, um, three cities, even two cities, just don't over plan yourself. I think again, not to stereotype or, or generalize Americans, but, um, we try to do so much in so little time. And that's kind of our MO is to go, 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 do, do, do as much as possible. Also because we don't travel abroad as much. So I have friends who are going away for two weeks and they're trying to hit up Fiji, New Zealand, and Australia in two weeks. To me, I think they're absolutely out of their mind crazy because I'm spending six weeks in New Zealand and I'm spending it pretty much all in only half the country. Um, and that's, you know, the, just what I learned is plan less, truly plan less. Um, another, just a couple things, especially when it comes to, and I know we've discussed this, I'm a budget traveler. I'm maybe not the cheapest of the cheapest, but I'm definitely a budget traveler. Um, and I do stay in hostels, which are not nearly as bad as anyone probably imagines. Uh, hostels also do have private rooms. They're not all bunk beds. So if you want something maybe cheaper and still private, hostels have private rooms. I always take, you know, walk, I walk around cities. I think that's the most, the best way to get the feel for the city. Or like I said, I take public transportations. I don't really rely on taxis. Always, always Google the best apps to get for the country. Um, maps.me, maps period me is my favorite offline GPS, no Wi-Fi necessary navigation. The hardest part of traveling is navigating. If you can navigate, you have a smartphone, you can travel abroad because I went to Brazil, I mentioned in Ecuador in 2011 and I had a slider phone, no data, you know, not a smartphone, few minutes. Um, and it was very tough. I, I always had to find internet cafes. Um, I was doing, you know, little bits of research. It was so difficult. But this past travel, these past four months, having my phone, I felt invincible. I felt I never felt worried because I always had my phone with me, um, which was my my life support. My friends and I joked. We said, "Would you rather lose your passport or your phone?" And I said, "Lose my passport." I got a photocopy of it and I have a picture of it on my phone, but like I can't do anything without my phone. Um, so maps.me, find your, you know, or Google Maps, download your map because navigation is the hardest part. I only ever try to plan where I'm putting my head down at night and how I'm getting from point A to point B. And that's it. And then, you know, if you, I'm not really big into tours, um, as a budget traveler, you know, they're generally pretty expensive, but tours are wonderful. Tours give you, um, you know, so much information and have a lot of fun excursions and activities. Any city you go to, any city, even in the U.S., even in Chicago, if you just Google free tours, there's a free tour in every major city, which I absolutely go, I go on free tours in every city I go to. Um, it's usually just students or kids who have so much knowledge. I'm always blown away by how much they know about their city and dates and how well they answer questions. 
And at the end of the free tour, which is like two or three hours, you can pay them whatever you feel is appropriate, zero dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, never more than twenty. So you're getting a great free walking tour or a great walking tour for about three hours for twenty bucks. Um, and also another website I use a lot is Kluk, K-L-O-O-K. I use their app because their tours and they have tours, they have um, tickets, admission tickets to different places. They always are cheaper than what I'm finding online. Part of my travels was to go to all the international Disney parks, and I always found the tickets at least $10 cheaper on Kluke. And then whatever you buy, you get credit for your next uh, booking. So I would buy something for $75, I get $2 of credits, and I use it against my next you know, food tour or um, admission to the Terracotta Warriors or something, so I was continually saving money. So, um, but yeah, I just, for someone who's traveling abroad, I, I would just say travel or, or plan less. Try to spend a little more time really enjoying places. Don't book yourself too much. Plan rest time and just figure out navigation and where you're putting your head down at night and everything else will, will come to you. Don't, you don't really have to pre-plan as much nowadays, um, especially with, you know, the internet at your fingertips. I love it. I love it. I would also add to the uh, rest day is to add an acclimation day if you're going somewhere that uh, is a higher altitude than you're used to, which I got to experience, I, I guess not firsthand because it didn't happen to me, but secondhand, the secondhand by seeing it directly. Yeah. Uh, doing the yeah. Inca Trail uh, a few years ago in Peru, which is several thousand feet above sea level. And uh, a, a good group of us from all over the place did uh, the Inca Trail, which is four days and three nights of hiking on a lot of elevated sort of narrow cliffs and, and mountains and everything. It's gorgeous while you're doing it. Uh, it's also terrible while you're doing it if you don't like hiking a lot, uh, but I would still highly recommend it, uh, even though you might be complaining for part of it. You just have to stop and look around and be like, oh, wait, this is amazing. Uh, but there was a guy in our group who uh, flew in. His family flew in, I believe, the night before, and you wake up at like 4 a.m. to take a a little like bus ride to the the base of the Inca Trail and and get rolling. So you're you're really starting to walk by like 5:30 or 6. And so he had been in Peru for about 10 hours maybe, 9 or 10 hours, and that's not enough time to get acclimated and he immediately got altitude sickness and then our guides had to carry him for half of the trip. And I wouldn't want anyone to carry me for more than 20 feet, I would say, and that would they were doing it for several meters. So just uh, wow. add on to it. Yeah, it's very, uh, and I also would not want to wish the altitude sickness on anyone. That's probably the worst part. Maybe being carried is, sounds yeah. appealing to some people. <laughs> A little embarrassing, but also just sad. I mean, that takes away from your trip. And like you said, altitude or jet lag. I mean, just be kind to yourself. It's, it's not going to be easy. I mean, there's a reason that the word culture shock exists you know, the phrase culture shock. So just like be kind to yourself, give yourself more time, acclimate, um, and then navigate and just kind of take it all in. Yes. I, I like the culture shock for our next question, which you kind of casually mentioned to me. Um, but you, 
you've talked about going to Brazil, uh, and you also sort of slipped in that you joined a cult where you were out there. How how did all of that I happen? How, what was that like? I did. So I was 23, and I decided to travel abroad. I was my first time really, not first time going abroad, but I mean, this was a huge deal. And I'm a little white girl, and, and my whole family was like, well, have you ever seen Taken? Because you're going to get Taken, and like, we're never going to see you again. And I was like, okay, thanks, everybody. Um <laughs> I decided to do Woof. Woof is Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. It's a really cheap way of traveling. Uh, just to give you some context, like I spent seven months, six months in Brazil, a month in Ecuador, and I spent about six grand, $6,500. Um, this travels, just, I like sharing this with people also. I'm in finance, so I like talking about, you know, realistic money. This travel, trying to go to so many different countries in Asia and Europe for four months, I spent about $14,000 just for contact. So less time, more money, but I was doing a lot more. I was staying in much bigger cities. And in Brazil, I was woofing. So in woof, you work on people's farms, which are usually a little farther out from the city, in exchange for food and a place to stay. So I found this farm a little bit, two hours outside of Rio de Janeiro, and the family, I loved them. I mean, they took me under their wing. They took me as their daughter. And I just, I stayed at their farm for five months. I lived there. Um, I, we joked that my roommates were rats because the house had tons of rats. They ate my clothes. They pooped all over my bed. Um, they were like, oh, how's the roommates doing? I was like, they were really loud last night. But I worked on their farm and just kind of became part of their family. So one day they say, they sent me down and they say, hey, Adrian, we're going to, we're, we're in a religion. We're in a, you know, we're part of this religion and we're going to a work tonight. And in these works, there's either parties or there's concentrations. You're either celebrating or you're kind of focused on just prayer. And we drink this drink and the spirits just kind of work with you. You work on yourself. You're just constantly working on yourself do you want to come with us tonight or no? And I was 23 and I was on my whole like self expedition and I was like, work on myself with spirits. Absolutely. Of course I'm in like when in Brazil, um, because I really kind of say yes to pretty much anything. Um, when I'm traveling abroad, if someone says, Hey, do you want to go out and do this? I'm usually like, yeah, okay, let's go. I try to do that as much as possible. So now I'm being offered a drink, and to work with the spirits on myself. And I said, sure, okay. So they start talking to me more about it. They say, this drink is made of three plants from the Amazon, and you drink it, and you kind of don't know what's going to happen to you. Sometimes people vomit. Sometimes people, you know, see things or go crazy. And I was like, okay, okay. Is this, is this a drug? And they're like, no adamantly like no this is not a drug this is natural and it's from the amazon and at this point it wasn't until long after i came home from brazil and i actually googled you can google it's called santo daime s-a-n-t-o-d-a-i-m-e santo daime it has a it has a very detailed wikipedia page um it wasn't until i came home that i realized that it was ayahuasca i had never even heard of ayahuasca at that point i don't think i was just just kind of a an ignorant kid, a naive kid. So, but they say you drink this drink, you sing some hymns and you work on yourself with the spirits. And I said, okay, sounds great to me. So 
through my five months of living with them, I ended up going to these works, going to these spiritual journeys uh, seven times. So the first time I went, it was at a friend's house, and they can last anywhere from three to four hours to, like, I went to one that was 12 hours. It was it lasted all night long from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and it depends on what you're celebrating or what, you know, the, the work is. So the first one I went to was in a their friend's house in the backyard in a gazebo, and it's pouring rain outside, and it's a concentration, so we're all sitting there, and I'm, they give me clothes to wear, of course. And I'm wearing a white top and, you know, a blue skirt. And they're like, okay, you know, we're going to sing the hymns. There's the, the band sits in the middle. Men are on one side, women are on the other. So you get this kind of energy going. And we sing the hymns and they say, okay, it's time to like drink the drink now. And I'm like, okay, if four years at a great, you know, party university has taught me anything, it's like to take this shot like a champion. So I t- it's a little shot, and it's brown, and I take it, and it kind of tastes like vinegar. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. All right. So I sit back down, and I'm just singing the hymns, doing my thing, and, you know, people are off, uh, away from the gazebo, puking. And they had warned me, people might puke. So I think, okay, people are puking. And then they say to me, Adrian, this work specifically is for Santa Maria, her death. So for Santa Maria, we actually a joint around as well and I said oh oh okay all right and they said if you want to take it you can take it if if you don't you don't and I was like well you know one in Brazil sure so you know take a hit from the joint you hold it hold your breath do the sign of the cross pass and then you can exhale this is like part of the ritual do that too and so for that first work that I went to I absolutely freaked out beyond like super freaked out there was like a snake to my left that didn't exist near the fire pit there was like a man that was standing behind me who absolutely did not exist I was it was I was shaking I was like convulsing I was shaking in my chair and like the women around me just kept putting blankets and items on me and I just felt like (laughs) everyone was staring at me and I after the work was over after it's over everyone hugs and says hello and then you and, and party it's kind of like you know just a, a very social thing but afterwards I just went inside the house and I like sat in front of a fireplace and just sat there and was like what the hell is this <laughs> when will this be over when will I stop feeling this way um but then of course like I said I did it they said you want to do it again and I said sure okay and that was my 24th birthday that's what I spent my 24th birthday doing but um you know it my experience with ayahuasca and joining their religion and whenever they said do you want to do this I said yes it went from a total freak out just crazy not knowing what was going on the fourth time I did it I felt euphoric at the end I felt I've never felt this before I felt so light like I barely weighed anything I felt like a feather like I couldn't stop smiling holy cow I couldn't stop smiling I felt so free and everyone smiling everyone kept coming up to me at the end hugging me saying oh your aura is so yellow it's so bright and Santa Maria is looking over you and I was just like okay this this is crazy but okay I felt amazing by the sixth time I took it I was kind of getting a little homesick I, I wasn't you know I wasn't I was kind of ready to leave and I went to a ritual and or work and they said you know come take the just want to die me and and I said nah I'm good like eh. and they said no I can look in your eyes I can tell that you need it come take it 
So I did, of course. I was like, all right, all right. Towards the end of the work, we were, they were chanting. They do this chant, and they just say Jesus Christ over and over again, Jesus Christ, for a few minutes. And during that time, while we were chanting, I blacked out. I fainted onto a cement floor where my head was only inches away from, like, the edge of this wooden table where the musicians were playing. And everyone said, oh, my gosh, I've never seen anyone fall so stiffly and straightforward. We thought you completely broke your face. You didn't put your arms out, nothing. I just came to, and I said, you know, what happened? What happened? And my face was completely fine. I had a little bruise on my chin, and that was it. And everyone's reaction was, oh, my God, the saints have saved you. Like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're looking after you. They love you. And I was just like, I just fainted directly onto a cement floor. I am done with this. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, yep, and I'm done. Fainted, I'm good. Uh, but, yes, I just filled it one more time. And my seventh and final time, uh, which was fine. And, and I did find out that there are some illegal in the United States, but there are some underground churches that do, you know, drink Santo Daime. I have not found them yet, but, um, yeah, that was my experience. And it's kind of just my MO, like I said, where when I go places and I meet people and they say, Hey, do you want to go to this night market? Or Hey, do you want to go to a Muay Thai boxing class? As long as it's within reason, which I didn't really know that I was taking, you know, a hallucinogenic drug, but, uh, I usually just say, sure. Okay. Why not? And that's how I ended up, uh, you know, in a Brazilian religion. That was a little crazy. I talked to somebody else who was from Brazil, who was in the United States. I told her that story, and she goes, uh, I'm from Sao Paulo, and I would never do that. And it's a, kind of a cult. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I actually, I mean, I, to me, I feel really proud of it because I, unbeknownst to me, kind of did it on a more natural base with locals in, like, backyards and churches and so now I think it's a really awesome story whereas then I was blogging about it and I'm sure my mom was just like oh me like oh my gosh what is my daughter doing because we uh we didn't communicate a whole lot she just had to read my blog and figure out what was going on with me yeah that's maybe not the the ideal way for a mother to keep tabs um but I no, still better still better sorry, than nothing mom. still better than nothing and of course I I, I would say a strange thing that you encountered in your travels, but perhaps not the strangest things. And that brings us nicely to our top three, which uh, I'm going to steal this from Impractical Jokers, but I like to call this the what? Oh, hell no. Hold up. Huh? Oh, okay. Moments that you've seen while you've been traveling. Oh, I, I wrote down, I started thinking about this and I wrote down um, a bunch actually. So I think, you know, one, um, I was in Tibet, I was in Lhasa in China and I got onto a bus, which was one yuan, which is 14 cents. So public transportation for the wind, got onto a bus, sat down and I was like surrounded by monks, one on each side at least. And they were, quietly chanting and I was just I was like oh my gosh should I move my seat should I get up should I, what am I doing I was like should I be chanting should I be like closing my eyes um so taking a bus ride with uh, a bunch of monks in Tibet was, I was like 
barely breathing because I just didn't want to do anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, this is normal life. We're just we're just taking a regular bus ride into bed. Um, another one is, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe this is a known knowledge. Do you know what the most popular song is at Oktoberfest in Munich, Germany? Uh, is it Sweet Caroline, like it is everywhere else? <laughs> no, though, that is a really, really great guess. I, when I went to Munich for Oktoberfest, I kind of expected very German traditional music, kind of what I imagine sounded like polka style, or, you know, something like that. Um, so I was really surprised by how much American music they played at Oktoberfest, but the number one song we heard most often, sung loud, sung proud by everyone, and they may or may not have known English, but they absolutely knew the words to this song was John Denver's Take Me Home Country Road. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, what? Oh, all right, we're just going with it because I do know the words. Um, and then my number one was in uh, China, just outside of Chengdu. I went to this giant Buddha. It's like the, um, the uh, I was going to say Mount Everest, but it's the, oh my gosh, why am I blanking right now? Mount, it's in South Dakota. Rushmore? Mount, ah, there we go. Yes, it's the Mount Rushmore in China. It's a 233-foot uh, carved Buddha in a wall, the Mount Rushmore of China. So it's called Giant Buddha, and I did a round-trip travel. It was round-trip four hours of travel on trains and buses standing in a very tightly cramped, sweaty line um, for an hour and a half just to see this Buddha, maybe 30 seconds. So I finally get down to see the Buddha, look up at it, see its giant feet, cool, maybe, you know, say a little prayer for 30 seconds. And now I have to take these big old, you know, long, steep steps back up. So I'm taking these steep steps back up, just left the Buddha, and I see this umbrella on kind of low on the ground. And I'm like, whoa, what's the umbrella doing there? And I just peek underneath and it's like a little boy peeing just like right in my face. And I was like, oh, a little boy peeing in public on the steps right next to the giant Buddha. Like, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, <laughs> pretty standard. Right, keep, keep climbing those steps. Uh, that was just, you know, I mean, Little kids peeing in public, always, uh, always a fun one. And we we should clarify that it was not. You did say he was peeing right in your face. That you mean like right next to you, not actually on your Pretty face. Pretty much, I mean, yeah. Okay. Like when you're taking steep steps up, I was almost at the landing. I was getting there, and he was on the landing, just like kind of peeing on the landing underneath an umbrella. So it was not at all in my face, but I was getting up to that landing, and I was like, yeah, okay, we're gonna just. And then just move this on along a little quicker so that this kid is not like sees me, sees him, even though he doesn't care. He's probably like one year old. <laughs> He's just doing himself. Yeah. That's fine. He's living his best but life. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many fun quirks abroad, like um, the the number one food that I could find in any country was like Pringles. Pringles of all different flavors. Or Oreos. Oreos of all different flavors. It's just the whole world loves Pringles and Oreos. Amazing. I do love uh, international Oreos. I feel like I'm I'm less aver or less versed in 
the Pringle game of other countries, but I've definitely tried a few foreign Oreos and it's always very Yeah, the Pringle game tasty. is strong, but Oreo is also very strong. And those flavors are, are quite interesting. Some good, some bad. But yeah, I love I love seeing international, you know, adaptations of what they like, what they don't. Kit Kats. Random random things, chupa chups that like you don't think about. I uh so good. So many good memories. Well, Adrian, mm-hmm. if people want to keep up with your travels, you mentioned a blog. You mentioned that's how your mom follows you. What if other people want to see what you're up to? Where can they find you online? Oh, that is the most wonderful question. Um, <laughs> so I am, I am on social media. I do have a blog. However, um, I'm not, I don't keep up with them that well. I think I've posted once on Instagram in the last year. Um, I don't ever post on Facebook. I do have a blog. It's called grownupdreads.com, G-R-O-W-N-U-P-D-R-E-A-D-S, all one word, dot com, grownupdreads, because um, my previous blog was called uh, Growing Dreads, and it was a play on growing pains, like you're growing up and it's painful, and growing dreads because I was going to be working on organic farms and I was really hoping to get some dreadlocks. Um, so now that I'm older, I'm not 23 anymore, uh, I did grownupdreads.com, but it was tough to maintain when I was abroad, so I haven't in a long time however you are absolutely welcome to follow me um if i get the inspiration i would love to post again um funny stories and just what's happening in my life otherwise you know you can always find me on facebook or instagram as well but i'm not a huge um i'm not really big into social media so just just preface (laughs) and did you did you ever get the dreads I didn't get the dreads. No, my sister got dreads instead, and they look like pistols on her head. So, I'm like, yeah, I'll pass. Ah, <laughs> uh, so wonderful, Adrian. You're officially off the hook. Thank you so much for coming on Yay. and chatting about the travels. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Of course, and as always, we will leave you with a terrible joke. Why did the librarian get kicked off the airplane? Because it was overbooked. Get after it today, people. <laughs>